to the program everybody you just stepped inside of psychotic bump school the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul my name is dj rome and i want to welcome you to another exciting edition of psychotic bump school so ladies and gentlemen tonight <laughs> oh we have an amazing show this evening oh we have returning tonight two amazing young filmmakers out of new orleans louisiana Jalea Jackson and Xander Shea Brown are back from the south of France filming a movie out there and they're here to tell us all about the continuing, developing, and unfolding trajectory of their amazing cinematic career. And they're right here sharing it with us on Psychotic Bump School. That's Jalea Jackson and Xander Shea Brown joining us again on Psychotic Bump School. Also, I'm proud to welcome another panel and we're gonna be breaking down trauma porn. That's right, the depiction of black suffering on the screen. And to help me have that conversation, I want to welcome back educator and playwright, Ms. Caressa Boyd out of Northern California. And from Southern California, I want to welcome back Jamie Burton Orr, who's also an amazing filmmaker. She's been here before. And for the first time, I want to welcome my good brother, Mr. Derek Debman, who's also a filmmaker in Los Angeles. And they're here to break it all down, y'all. Trauma porn in the year of 2020. And also, I am proud to welcome this brother, Oh my goodness, he has been all over the P-Funk map, working with the likes of people like Moody Man, uh, Malik Alston, uh, oh my goodness, David Lee Spradley, who's been here before. Uh, the brother's a remixer, a producer, a musician, an engineer, a writer, uh, a DJ, an engineer. And uh, as he will let us know tonight, he's uh, becoming a filmmaker as well. So I am proud to welcome out of Detroit, Michigan, the good brother, Piranha Head. That's right, Piranha Head is gonna be joining us this evening. Oh, it's gonna be a fully loaded show, so you might wanna call your friends and family to the radio or the computer because we are about to set it off. And we have an additional special announcement coming up a little later, so make sure you stay tuned for that. You might wanna call your friends because we're getting started, y'all. So Psychotic Bump School's here on kcwgthetruth.com. My name is DJ Rome. Welcome to Psychotic Bump School. Stay tuned for more. We'll be right back with Jalea Jackson and Xander Shea Brown after this. This is writer-director Xander Shea Brown. And this is filmmaker and editor Jalea Jackson. And you're listening to DJ Rome on Psychotic Bump School. The place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. <laughs> In the vault that I hold you in, open and close Safest thoughts that I hold you in, open and close 
out Japan, saw a panda like designer Fly out to London, the drugs was like designer Fly out to France, bought some pants that was designer Did that by designer, did that by designer Cause I'm a star, I jump It's like they be comics Or they be comics, or they be comics Way too often, ain't no hero, let me be honest Get a cape, make it, never overstate I'm dedicated to my bake grade, I'm heavy going eighth They play it safe, so they never be afraid But my fears made me great, make me feel alive Levitate, let you bear the weight of how I feel inside Let the pain go, I choose to move freely Let my wings grow, I'm moving too freely See this game, it'll ruin dudes easy Platinum chain, but the ego bros easy So I fly out Japan, seen a panda like designer Fly out to London, the drugs was like designer Fly out to France, bought some pants that was designer Did that by designer, did that by designer In the vault that I hold you in, open and close Safe as thoughts that I hold you in, open and close Open and close Faithful is harder to stay. I don't know how else to say it. The wonders of all the mosaics. I don't know how I can stay put. Slim chance, I go straight crook like I trace edges, let my pace tell it. I shine like the cave dwellers on their first day, smelling pine. Happy Earth Day, you heard? The world is mine. And on the show, and I hate to brag, but it show. I've been out collecting bags, cause the tape a classic. Told myself that I would make it happen. Fly out Japan, seen a panda like designer Fly out to London, the was like designer Fly out to France, bought some pants that was designer Did that by designer, did that by designer back y'all psychotic bump school my name is dj rome and i want to remind you that we have a very special edition of psychotic bump school and i call it psychotic bump school's after school program called dizzy attic nation that's right super tuesday is tomorrow and it is the time of the year where we're going to be going forward with selecting the democratic nominee to contend with 45 in november of this year It's a very important occasion. It's time to get out and make your voices heard. We're going to be covering the after effects of Super Tuesday that goes down on Tuesday, March 3rd. We're going to be breaking it down with a tremendous panel of some of your favorite commentators that have been on this show, like Jeffrey Keller, Dina Becker, Aaron Sands, plus a whole lot more. So that's Dizzy Attic Nation, Psychotic Bump Schools After School Program covering the Super Tuesday primary on Tuesday, March 3rd. So make sure you stay tuned for that. One. Yes, we are back. Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome, and I am very excited to have this next panel. These two sisters have been here on a couple of occasions, at least a couple of occasions, but it's been a little while. They've been, they've been kind of busy, and I'm always excited to have them back. I'm so proud of them, and they're such an inspiration. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, filmmaker Jalea Jackson, as well as filmmaker Zandashe Brown out of New Orleans. Wait, is it Louisiana? or New Orleans, is one of the two, Louisiana. <laughs> Jalea, Zandashay, welcome back. How y'all doing? Doing great. Good. 
Oh, so Thanks good to have you all back. I got to get that right, though. Where in Louisiana are y'all? New Orleans. We are in New Orleans. That's what I thought. Okay. Well, welcome back. How in the world, literally the world, how have y'all been? Y'all have been on the road and on the move, haven't you? We have, yeah. It's been, it's been a blessing. It's been, it, was, it was a good experience, uh, for sure, being in France and, and just, you know, having that experience of filming a, I think it was one of our first kind of big feature films, at least it was for me. Um, it was a great experience, for sure. Okay, so that was Jalea. So, Zandache, uh, was this your <laughs> inaugural experience of this kind as well? Oh, totally. Yeah, we both went, um, respect, Jalea and myself, respectively, as editor and second assistant camera. So, that was definitely my first time in this position mm. um, and my first time overseas in Europe. And wow. we had a really great experience, very summer camp style in, in the countryside of southern France, um, working on a film for about three weeks. And I feel like we've been re trying to recover. <laughs> Ever since, right? We definitely had a really good time, yeah. Wow, the pictures look amazing. Look like you two had an amazingly good time. I know you've worked together on other projects before. Uh, but I guess this will be the first international project, if it's fair to say that. So which one of you can share mm -hmm. with us how that opportunity fell into your laps? How did that happen? Yeah, then well, Julia, you I, come I, forward, yeah. <laughs> I, I can kind of, I can start. Uh, the director and writer, Marion Hill, I met with her prior to this film on other projects. She actually, worked and edited a few projects for Ellis Nicole, the, the company that I work with currently. And she was part of the Emerging Voices, which then she was a part of, we can probably speak to it more. And during the, the New Orleans Film Festival last year, she saw uh, our film, and she's film Blood Runs Down, and, and we'd worked together on editing, so she knew kind of my workflow and, and how organized I am when it comes to organizing the project and the footage and, and all of that. So I think even a year before we took took the trip and went to France, she kind of, you know, asked me, would I be interested in doing something like this? And and I ended up being the, the DIT, so I would get all the media from, from the camera that was shot, organize it, and then I also was the assistant editor. So on, on set, I was cutting dailies, uh, cutting selects, which was great for me it was it was amazing and it just kind of was just working on other projects together that we ended up being being able to work on this bigger project together that's kind of how it it was like a kind of a year process between me and the director oh wow mm -hmm. and yeah, i should say that uh, yeah, the name ahead. the name of marion's film is ma bell my beauty and so she reached okay. out to me actually maybe a few weeks before we left to ask if I was interested in being on the camera team, which I confess to her, that's something I've never done before. <laughs> but um, I think she really just wanted an intimate team of like New Orleans filmmakers that she trusted. And she also, one of the lead role, one of the lead characters is played by Idella, who was the, um, one of the leads in Blood Runs Down as well. Mm. So it was super exciting to see her transform into a completely different person. Um, and to be in the camera department just puts you in such a particular perspective on set. You always know exactly what's happening. So that was super valuable to me as a director to 
understand why the way it is to see how communication happens between directors and camera and other departments on set. Um, and to, you know, to, to have the experience of traveling, we had some long days, but we were in really good company and we were met with wine at dinner every night. So yes. <laughs> yes. Really right. Well, that's pretty exciting. How did this project tap into both of yours particular strengths that you bring to filmmaking in general? Were there specific roles that you two had to talk about and agree upon as far as who would handle what? How did you both work out the details of what your respective roles would be? Mm. Um, for me, I, again, like this was my first time doing this role. So I sort of had to learn what my strengths and weaknesses were on the go. I had to learn the entire position while it was there. And I was fortunate enough to be working with a team um who was patient enough and knowledgeable enough to be able to teach me on the go lauren Gutierrez was the dp she's based in los angeles and the first ac was terence Yoon, who's also based out there and um so yeah i mean the the, the challenge was it's definitely an active position and from where we were in the hills and at times in the mountains and you know, it it can it can wear you out, <laughs> but I think I appreciated getting up early in the morning and always having something to do. One of the things that always makes me nervous on set is just the waiting and the fidgeting and thinking, is there anything that I'm supposed to be doing right now? And from this position, there was literally always something that I was supposed to be doing. <laughs> so, but it it helped it gave me more clarity about how the flow of the set was going. And mm. I felt like you could ask me pretty much any question and I would have an answer to it on set. Oh, so, wow. um, yeah, it, it just, it revealed a strength that I didn't know that I had from being in that position for the first time. And it was a reminder that, I, you know, the director is often the least experienced person on set because how many chances do you really get to direct a movie whereas your crew members they go from set to set show to show the gaffers work hundreds of hundreds of shows you know your your crew has done the work so much more often than you have so it, it was a great reminder that as a director um, it's helpful to be placed in other positions just to get a different perspective and um, and, you know, a reminder of like what, what things the director isn't paying attention to um, that would be more beneficial if they were. Right. Well, Julia, I'm coming to you in a second. So Xander, you mentioned a couple of times you were learning your strengths and weaknesses or opportunities for growth areas, I'll say. So what did you discover? So what did you, coming out of this, what did you discover as a new strength that you didn't realize that you had? Um, well, I knew that I was a, a quick thinker, but I feel like in the way that I was moving, I, I was quicker than I thought. I was definitely, I'm always afraid of change and, you know, being away from a place for a long time. And I was proud of the way that I adapted to that nice. uh, because I do have a tendency to move, move with fear. Uh, and, and that's, 
that's something that's kind of going to follow me through my whole career. I mean, the career of any artist is constantly changing and, you know, even growth, growth can look really threatening because it's moving in a different space than where you are currently. And so I was really proud of myself for that. And just, um, you know, it's nice to be reminded that you're a quick learner. I, I had not had experience with a camera. I'm usually very intimidated by cameras and this whole process really demystified, you know, what it is to understand the camera and the needs of one. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I was proud of how quickly I kind of got on board with that. That's very, I would have never thought you would have said that just the, that dynamic and relationship with the camera being that you're a filmmaker. That's very interesting. I'm gonna come back to that in a second. Julia Jackson, what are your thoughts on that? How did this project bring out the best within you that perhaps before this you didn't know you had? Yeah, so a few years ago, I had an opportunity to do a little bit of uh, media loading and and dumping for a feature film, uh, you know, for two weeks. So I was able to get a little bit of that experience and and the difference between uh, what is required for a feature film versus a short film. Uh, Because sometimes with a short film, you can, you know, kind of dump a little bit after after the day and not really during the day um but in my in my work in the last kind of few years i've done a lot more kind of producing uh production management and, and coordination and not so much of the kind of the the creative editing that that i used to always kind of fall in love with and and i kind of had this like you know with with editing and kind of anything technical you know things are always evolving and things are always changing and I was you know a little nervous coming in that I was kind of losing some of you know the skill sets of editing that I that I had oh yeah um you know just so kind of going into uh this this space where I'm literally (laughs) editing and and handling media for 18 plus hours for six days straight sometimes seven I would kind of work a little bit on my on my break time um I fell in love with editing again and I genuinely enjoyed like literally every moment of it and I remember because Zanity and I were, were roommates and <laughs> she was like you're gonna get cat and fever you're just kind of staying in the house and because I mean I had a nice setup like I had two monitors I had my headphones I had all of the uh the drives like I was in heaven and right. I, I remember after like day 20, like one of my friends was like, hey, you know, you've been out there for, for two weeks. How are you feeling? And I was like, I literally haven't left this house. Um, oh, wow. yeah. And, you know, mm-hmm. then they, I had to tell them like, hey, y'all, can I, can I go out on set with y'all? Can I, you know, can I do a little grip work, a little song? But, but no, just like that experience and, and some of the scenes that I was able to, to edit um, definitely pushed me creatively, you know, as an editor. Uh, Julia, did out in France, did they, mm-hmm. they allow you to uh, make that melanin pop? <laughs> <laughs> you mean like, like getting out the house or? <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I mean, the, I learned that from you, the lighting and just making, you know, oh. beautiful black skin just I... bounce off the screen. Did they, they allow you to emphasize that technique out there? <laughs> wrong. The, honestly, wrong. The amount of time that I been outside of that room wow <laughs> oh well quarantine what'd you wow. say 
Yeah, it sounded like a serious uh, devotion project for sure. They had you on quarantine lockdown. Xander Shaver. No, she could have come out a couple of times, but she didn't. Dedicated, she though. Dedicated to her craft, right? Just look, look, admitted to the I, I, I had this whole notion that I could try to cut the whole film before I left. Ooh. That was my goal. And out of the 103 scenes, I think I got close to like 70. So that's pretty good. It wasn't bad. Yeah, the director and I, Marion, we, we were talking, like, we really wanted to try to, to screen like a rough cut before we left. And it, it just wasn't. So that was my whole goal coming in, you know? And also, I just, I really just enjoyed the whole editing process. Like, y'all just don't know. So, yes, yeah, like, the ambition, I could have, I could have came out and a couple times. She was like, Julie, you, you coming? I was like, nah, you know, I'm trying to finish this scene. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I only, I only really was on set like maybe one or probably, maybe three times or so. So oh, during wow. that time, you know, I enjoyed it, but I was like, you know, I kind of want to be back in my little, a little room. <laughs> oh, yeah. How about that? Well, Xander Shea Brown, um, moments for you during this project, uh, moments of self-doubt, moments of clarity. Do I really deserve to be here? How did you work through moments like that if you had them? Well, I feel like I'm always working through moments like that. And I feel like a lot of artists are. So uh, it, that was just kind of another, <laughs> kind of another day. But um, mm -hmm. something that I've been working on with this project and with others is just reminding myself that, um, you know, you do, you do belong here. And I think that doubt is erased a lot more when you just kind of lay all your cards on the table. So with the director, when we were speaking before she formally invited me to work on the project, um, and with the crew, whenever I arrived there, I was pretty open with them on where, you know, what my learning curve was, what my understanding was of that position. Um, and that I felt like freed me a lot from worry, from having to, you know, cover up or pretend to know things that I didn't. And I think people Very also good. appreciate that that type of transparency. So um, yeah, I try to move with that. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's very effective because it's very freeing, right? You're, you're not putting this facade forward that doesn't exist. Yeah. And uh, I think it I, invites people in to help you through the process, right? Exactly. Totally, yeah, appreciate yeah, it. People appreciate beautiful, it. Beautiful thing. Well, um, how soon, because Julia said she wanted to finish the whole darn thing while she was out there. So how, so how much of it did you bring back then to the States to, to finish, both of you? Yeah, so I, I'm just the assistant editor. Uh, Marion, the director, is also editing it. So okay. when, I, when I got back, I got back the end of September. So I, I took you know, a little break, and then pretty much the rest of the year, uh, Marion and I were working on finalizing um, at least my part of of the scope of work, which was to to pull selects, you know, pull the best uh, takes and the best um, acting from each of the scenes and each of the the takes. Um, towards the end, just to expedite the process, I you know wasn't really doing too many of the rough assemblies. Um, I tried to do as many as I could, but I pretty much handed off the project to her. I think the end of December. Okay. Uh, so it's kind of back in, in, in her court now. Actually, funny enough, I need to follow up with her um, soon. But yeah, she's kind of, you know, taking it 
there and I, I think and then she corrected me from wrong I think I'm trying to you know at least start working on getting it out for this you know summer film circuit and and different film festivals you know that nature so we're you know we're still in the editing um process uh for sure yeah fabulous and before we let you go remind us again uh the working title for this project is what and approximately what time frame might we be able to see some trailers for it approximately <laughs> oh yeah so it's yeah exactly you want to you want to uh tell me well, right i I can't speak to trailers, but the the work the title is Ma Bell, My Beauty, and it's by director Marion Hill. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And where else will we recognize her work again? Because this this is not her uh, maiden voyage as far as filmmaking at this level. Uh, where else will we perhaps recognize her work? Well, this this is her first feature. Oh, it is. So, okay. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. This is this is going to be her first feature. Okay, fabulous. Her, she, she did a short called Goddess House. Uh -huh. Um, now has screened locally, but yeah, this will be her um, feature debut as well. Y'all took this challenge and went all the way across the world. How exciting, how inspirational. Uh, you conquered this mountain. Uh, I look forward to seeing and hearing more about it. Uh, what's next for the both of you? You, you did this, 2020 is just getting started. Uh, Zanishay, what's next for you? And then I wanna swing over to Julia. Um, well, what sucks for me is a feature debut as well. Before that, um, Julie and I worked on a short together called Hate that I directed. So that is in post-production and will be hopefully in the festival circuit or online soon once it's finished. Um, and then, you know, I'm going to continue my writing and try to get this feature going within the next year or so after that. So. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm excited to That's have more exciting. details. Yeah. <laughs> I look forward to it. You know, I, I jokingly refer to y'all as J and Z. Um, I'm just wondering <laughs> how much of a blessing is it to work with such a good friend and ha have you have a close friend and ally to, to partner with uh, to get through those rough times if any of them come up. Um, how far into the future do you see this dynamic between Julia and you uh, being sustainable as a continuing partnership that can continue to evolve with future projects. Oh yeah, very far. I mean, I think it's 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 such a blessing to have filmmaker friends in your life and people who are kind of on a shared mission with you, um, and especially early on in these stages where it's hard to get support for your project to have someone who you can go to and just say, "Hey, do you want to do this thing? Like, I just want to get this done," and right. you know, like they're down the ride so yeah it's wow. it's incredible to have people like that on your team and i'm super appreciative of julia oh how about that she is like on the run too like jay-z and beyonce julia jackson how about for you what's next for you <laughs> what's next for you and how how much of a benefit is it for you to be able to work on projects like this with xander shea brown yeah so um i'm trying to to edit you know some more content more projects uh, i still am working with the nate parker foundation um we just finished our four-part docuseries on the 400-year commemoration of the first african to arrive to america so right now we are uh screening that nationwide we just had a screening in detroit and we are looking 
ahead of having um, to having a screening in in Atlanta and some in Montgomery and, and other places like that. We also had a screening at the Pan African Film Festival two weeks ago uh, that oh, nice. I helped produce. So, so we had that docu series as well as a, a short film from the 2019 Summer Institute. So just you know, continuing to to work with them and and continuing to to build up the next generation of storytellers is you know, it's very important oh, to me. Nice. Uh, and and yeah, uh, just, you know, working with Zanita, you know, I always like to tell the story how, you know, when we first had the first class together, I was like, yeah, I'm working with her. And, you know, ever since then, you know, she's definitely been a great collaborator, a great friend. And, and when I found out that she was coming to France, I was so excited. Oh, nice. um, <laughs> I, you know, I texted my mom right away. I was like, Mama, Zanita, she coming. She coming, Mama. Very excited. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I mean, just <laughs> continuing to to work with her and you know bounce ideas off of her is is always great and um you know I'm so proud of the work that she's doing and, and you know working on her her you know her first feature film and um she had a chance to to pitch it you know a, you know a couple weeks or a couple months ago and I remember just sitting there I was like you know I you know I I love the dynamic that we have and you know having that you know how she kind of directs and I help. And like I just I love that dynamic and um she's actually one of the few people as an editor that I you know actually like having like sit down director um editing sessions where I edit as she you know kind of gives her her notes it's very rare for me um to do so yeah we just have a, a great dynamic um and it's nice that she's you know in New Orleans now as well so yeah just continue um for you know this blessing and that you know the collaboration is continue absolutely yeah yeah that that's a beautiful beautiful setup right there i want to wish you both continued success i'm just remembering now i actually have had you both on at the same time before it's just been a while and uh <laughs> I, I forgot how much fun it is to have both of you on at the same time you're an inspiration both of you thank you so much for coming back to psychotic bumps this is uncle funk of the soul children la and you're listening to psychotic bump school with your host dj rome on KCWG, thetruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. Sick thoughts, and I ain't going back to court. So fuck what you thought. I'm checking in to see, running for my enemy. 
streets when I let her be 23 and so much
Yes, we are back. KCWG, the truth.com. Name of this program is Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome, and I am very, very excited to have this uh, panel here. I am, oh my goodness, I am so excited to talk about this topic tonight. I've been having this thing going on with me and cinema and the, uh, the portrait of trauma on film and how it tends to singularly pertain to our community. Uh, I've been wanting to talk about this for a long time, so I'm really, really excited to have this panel with us. So uh, a couple of them have been here before, and we have a guest here that's here for the very first time. So ladies first, uh, let's start with uh, this amazing filmmaker in Southern California by way of Flint, Michigan. Stand up, stand up. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, the good sister Jamie Burton Orr. Jamie, are you there? <laughs> I'm here. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. Welcome back. And I'm also proud to welcome back this amazing educator and playwright out of Northern California, ladies and gentlemen. Also, welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, the good sister, Caressa Boyd. Miss Boyd, are you there? Yes, I'm there. <laughs> hey, thank you for being there. And welcome back. Long time no see. All of two or three weeks, right? That's <laughs> <laughs> <Around> me. <laughs> oh, so exciting to have you back. Uh, Caressa's in the house, y'all. And I'd like to welcome this good brother. He's a longtime friend of mine, also a filmmaker, educated brother, smart brother, conscious brother, doing some amazing thing in the world of film, amazing work in the way of world of film, as I should say. Uh, the good brother has been in the underground scene for quite some time, and uh, I can't wait to get his take on this as well. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome for the very first time to Psychotic Bump School, the good brother, Mr. Derek Detman. Mr. Detman, are you there? <laughs> yes, I am. Thank you very much, Brother Rome, and uh, morning to the uh, other ladies on the panel, and uh, I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. We are very, very excited to have you back. Stand by. Yes. Oh, man. So I got a bone to pick about this industry, y'all, and I'm so glad to have y'all here. Um, I've been seeing this terminology on social media and online called trauma porn, trauma porn, pornography, mm -hmm. trauma porn. And the idea behind it is that there is a trend and it's not a new trend, Caressa, Jamie and Derek, it's not a new trend at all but it's the, the, the tendency of the cinematic and television film culture to fill the best way to fill seats and to grab eyeballs from the black community mm -hmm. is to show trauma, pain, suffering on the screen. Um, mm. An obvious and latest departure, if anyone has had a chance to see it, is the movie that just came out called The Photograph. And we could talk about mm -hmm. that as we expand this conversation a little bit but I wanna talk about that notion of trauma porn with the three of you. So let's go first to Jamie Burton or uh, Ms. Orr, what are your thoughts on that? Um, how would you say black lives are accurately being portrayed in our cinema, cinema that is, and our film? What are your thoughts on that? Um, well, first off, I did, you know, check out, I, I've been hearing this term trauma porn and I just, you know, I did a little bit of reading and, and where it came from and, and what, um, I guess the term came about it somewhere around 2014 and people put a name on it with the Black Lives Matter and things like that. But, um, basically, so, so what I will do is go back to my first experience with what, you know, I would, I guess, use the term trauma porn, um, my engagement with it personally uh, would be uh, when Bill Cosby's son died. Um, oh, wow. 
yeah, that was actually my first image um, in terms of consciousness where I had a, re- a immediate reaction and I was very angry because I remember it was Fox um, News because I knew a lot about Rupert Murdoch. And, um, oh, yeah. and I remember that they showed, it was from a distance, but they showed Ennis's body on TV. Ooh. And prior to that moment, I can't recall ever seeing a body like that on TV. Wow. Um, so it didn't, it didn't go, um, it didn't go amiss that it was a black man. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm at Howard University, my sophomore, yeah, it was my sophomore year and I, I flipped. I was so mad and, um, I was happy, uh, that Jesse Jackson actually spoke on it and he, uh, was representing the family, speaking for the family and, um, they stopped it. So because he he caught it right away, they cut it, and t- they stopped the other news channels. Didn't didn't follow suit. Um, so fast forward, mm-hmm. you know, to now. Uh, you know, they say things start as seeds and then they grow. So I think that there's a desensitization that occurs um, where we see an increasing amount of things that we normally wouldn't see on television on the small screen and then on the big screen and then people get um numb to it you know you get desensitized and then it doesn't bother you as much so you think um so for me the when you asked me about this panel i remember texting you back um do you mean like the difference between a queen swim and a photograph and yeah you said exactly right um so i did see the photograph um and i did see queen and swim um i guess i'll start with queen and swim uh for me um i wasn't a big fan of the film um i supported the film i do appreciate uh you know, Lena Waithe and and, and uh, various filmmakers who are trying to portray us in different lights than what we've seen collectively. Um, but I was disappointed um, in a lot of things. And the first thing I was disappointed in uh, was when the black officer was killed on screen. It didn't it didn't make sense to me, and it didn't feel like it aligned with us culturally like that story is not familiar to me um yeah and then the, I, I don't know how far you want me to go because i don't want to dominate the well you know it's okay because uh i did not see queen and slim um i'm gonna go into reasons why but no you're fine i am gonna pivot can you hold that thought right there and uh sure. let me pivot one second to caressa boyd uh caressa what are your thoughts on that um and then i want to hear from mr Derek Debman. Well, I agree. Um, I also saw Queen and Slim, and actually that was the one scene that kind of did it for me, was watching the young man shoot the black man, the black man. Um, and I felt like it was more so for soft value, you know, which is what comes from trauma porn. Um, I felt like that was put in there to kind of shock people, but not really, it wasn't accurate as, like, as well as I can't relate to that. I, I don't really understand that either. Um, and actually, last night I had gone out with some friends, and some some drama had um, just sprouted out in the environment. And I noticed that people just sat there and watched, and it was really 
it was a trauma. It was uh, two women that were arguing, and they were apparently a couple. And then one man was trying to separate them, but one woman started hitting people, and the security guards kind of didn't really separate them. And then everybody just sat around and watched. Mm. And so I also see how it affects the environment. You know, how much is this being um, put on on TV is also affecting how we just react in our community. And so that's why I'm I'm just like, okay, I I don't really feel like it's accurate because after a while, there were people who started to speak up and say, come on, everybody's going to sit here and watch. Is anybody going to jump in? And then eventually some people walked away and then more security guards came and separated the fight. Mm. But there was a whole wow. a moment where it actually became entertainment, and that's what I noticed is that you know it, it's shocking, and the shocking part of it is what causes people to keep staring. And because they know, you know, whoever is selling these films know that that is now a marketing opportunity to shock people and to keep them coming in just so they can keep staring. Oh wow. Yeah, that's fascinating. Uh, Derek Detman, what are your thoughts on that? Um, wow. Um, well, we were talking about uh, technology and, and uh, the internet and, you know, mobile phones and stuff like that, and how that is a part of life now. Um, you mentioned earlier that it, you know, started, you know, starts with seeds, you know, you plant the seeds and stuff like that. Um, well, today's culture, we've been conditioned uh, to accept this torture porn by uh, not just entertainment values, but uh, it, by entertainment, but um, you have these uh, world star videos, uh, these little clips of people that you see right. on the street, you know, getting knocked out or, you know what I'm saying, just fights in the neighborhood. Everyone got their phone out. And uh, just like uh, one of the panelists said, instead of helping the person or, you know, Everyone got the phone out. They're looking. They're entertained. You know, would this happen 30, 20, you know, 40 years ago? No. Somebody would have done something. You uh-huh. know what I'm saying? But now we've been so desensitized to accept this as normal, this uh, torture porn as normal to the point where, you know, we don't do anything. We're entertained by it, you know, or... I'm not going to get involved with that. No, you know, so, you know, because people have gotten hurt trying to, you know, separate or, or break up fights and stuff like that. So, um, you know, there's that factor too as well. Wow. But yes, uh, um, I do believe, um, you know, nowadays we have been desensitized, you know, the society, especially the younger generation, uh, these uh, so-called millennials are desensitized to it because, they see it every day. It's like I said, it's on Facebook, Instagram, you have World Star. Um, you know, they have uh websites dedicated to stuff like this. Um, they have um outlandish contests like slapping contests. You have people taking turns slapping each other, you know, who can slap the hardest. Right. I, I mean it's absurd. But uh-huh. like I said, you know, we've, we've, as a society, we've accepted it now. And, um, you know, it translates, you know, uh, as it relates to uh, more recent films, I never saw, I didn't see um, Queen of Slim. Um, I guess much like you, I have my reasons for not seeing it too, uh, Rome. Uh-huh. What um, were your reasons? You know, uh, one, I'm not a big fan of, Le- of Lena Waithe. 
Uh, I mean, she's she's okay or whatever, you know, but I'm not a big fan of hers. And then um, just the 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 story, the the story alone, I just it just didn't move me, and I just was not motivated to see it. And I guess the same thing for uh, the photograph. I guess this, this movie that's out with uh, Issa Rae. Um, eh, you know, it, it, I don't want to. I'm not sexist or anything like that. I mean, I do think there's some very talented um uh like uh women filmmakers out there you know but uh i don't know i think east ray is just a little too overhyped if you would you know um i i followed her ever since uh she was on youtube with the uh the aqua girl series right you know so you know i saw her you know rise from that um but um, you know but i like to see more um matter of fact um uh, the, the the new Candyman movie that's coming out people okay. think that's jordan pill that's directed actually it's a sister that i forgot her name but it's a sister that's directing it oh. you know uh jordan called Rody, but yeah it's a sister that's directing it and um yeah I, and it looks kick-ass and yeah. I, I, i'm excited i, I definitely want to see it so like i said there's other talented other women out there you know saying that haven't had their sign yet and i mean that's what i'm interested in yeah, that's that's what i like absolutely you know, so I think that yeah. sister's name is Nia DaCosta. Uh, I'm looking forward yes, to Nia DaCosta. Because, mm-hmm. you, you know, you mentioned Jordan Peele and the fact that he has appealed to people's sense of horror in a way that yes. uh, filmmakers haven't in a long time, Black filmmakers in particular. And mm-hmm. he actually takes the component of race out of it in films like Us, because it was just a Black family just going through stuff, right? So right. that was a different kind of experience. But you all raised some very good points. Uh, from yours, Jamie, talking about the Bill Cosby thing and Ennis Cosby, uh, that, that, that's a trip right there. Remember Rodney King in 1992 when George Holiday had his camera out and filmed that uh, police stop and beating of Rodney mm-hmm. King? And people were feeling like we were finally in this vanguard era to where uh, we got the coldest witness of all time, a videotape that will finally capture what really happened. And mm-hmm. back then we thought that, okay, we could weaponize our media uh, platforms in a way that could uh, lead us to justice and get, get mm-hmm. us, uh, you know, uh, social reparations if nothing else. And so it's gone all the way to, from that to this. Who remembers the NBA basketball player, Delonte West? You guys really got me thinking about beatings on camera now. Mm-hmm. Brought up oh, yeah. I do, I do. Yeah, yeah. I do West, yeah, Delonte West used to play in the NBA. I think he used to be a teammate of LeBron James when he was in Cleveland, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. He's going through some really, really tough times, and he was just captured on film. It was so hard to watch. Yeah. Um, people yeah. just videotaped him just getting stomped in the ground. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, it's really sad that um, people do find such a level of entertainment in this. So let me ask you this, because we have social media platforms, the the four of us who are on this call, Caressa, Jamie, and Derek, and we have our circle of followers and supporters who often look like us, and you know, full transparency, this is an African-American or black panel. How pervasive is this outside of our community? Is this something that's really just unique to, to us? Or to what degree do you see white trauma porn Hispanic trauma porn, Asian trauma porn, uh, does it exist? Let's go to Caressa, Derek, and then Jamie. Caressa, have you seen this in other cultures? 
Yes, because I am definitely a scroller. I spend a lot of time on Instagram. And uh, yesterday, I actually saw a video of a man being attacked by a tiger in a different country, a uh, lion, actually. And what you see is first the video uh, shoots to a little girl who's standing behind a fence. And then you see behind her a man that's being mauled by a lion. The lion's in the cage, the man's on the outside of the cage. And then the whole, um, and it looks like it's some type of zoo. And then everybody there has their phones up and they're recording this man being attacked by this lion. Whereas a couple of years ago, those videos used to show multiple people screaming and yelling, trying to distract the animal. And now these people are sitting there waiting for the animals to tear this man apart. Oh, and that, it looked like, it didn't look like anything in America. Um, and I was just like, wow. So I do see a lot of it. I see every type of there is. I've seen um store owners attack people in stores i've seen and, and actually there's actually um uh internet uh account on these social media accounts that only show shocking videos just like world star but there's some that even go further where you actually have to press the button because it tells you that it's going to be um disturbing right. and so that is actually causing people to want to click that button that's like a horror film where you're like oh I, I i know i shouldn't be watching this but uh, for some reason, I just can't stop watching this and not knowing what we're exposing ourselves to and then continually exposing ourselves to it is causing an addiction where people want to keep seeing that. And so I noticed that a lot of times people will, um, and even I have um, really picked those accounts in my younger age because I was just like, wow, it's shocking and I want to see it too. Mm -hmm. And those are the ones that everybody is watching. Hmm. Wow. And so you, right. you could see comments on the bottom where people are commenting and then all of a sudden it turns into racial comments and, and it's everybody is watching this and they all have their perspectives that they're putting in the comments. Wow. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Derek Devman and then over to Jamie. Um, yeah, actually, just to piggyback off uh, what you just uh, uh, brought up, um, I remember in the 90s, um, Maybe it goes back even further, but there was a videotape, um, oh boy, I myself, series called Faces of Death. And wow. it showed, yeah. yeah, and it showed um, video, I, I'm assuming it was from across the world, of people being murdered, um, uh, mm. you know, just, just mm -hmm. death. But, you know, it, it, it was that, just many ways people died unfortunately and it became an underground popular sensation and that has translated now you know with the internet and social media and stuff like that where you know like you have channels and websites dedicated to just that people now are like i said are desensitized you know it, it's the norm so much so that you see it on tv and well, TV, they will go push the line. But movies, no. I mean, you know, from Tarantino to uh, Scorsese, um, you know, today, uh, today's movies have no restraint on, you know, depicting murder and trauma. And, you know, it's no host barred nowadays. And I think uh, it's been a long running thing. And now it's just more widely accepted. So when you talk about Tarantino, uh, Jamie, I'm going to come to you with this because Derek makes, makes a good point. And Caressa did too, okay. from Faces of Death to what Caressa was talking about with 
uh, seeing it in other cultures, like tigers mauling people. That's reality TV. Uh, when it's scripted, um, well, talk about the, the scripted world, if you could, Jamie. And, uh, and, I, and I do want you to comment on the degree to which you've seen trauma depicted in other cultures outside of the Black community. Can you talk about that? Yes. Uh, well, I do want to say one thing before I forget. Um, the photograph, the movie with Issa Rae, was directed by a sister called Stella McGee. Yes. Uh, I just want to make sure she gets that, you know, because uh, a lot of people think Issa Rae directed that film. No, but no. That's right. The, so what, what's running through my mind in terms of other culture, uh, cultures and, and, and uh, trauma porn for everybody is that I agree with, you know, Caressa and Derek. It's not, it goes back to like black on black crime, right? It's not mm -hmm. just, we don't, it's not just that. It's it's in every community. Dick, the great late Dick Gregory always said, you kill where you live, right? Mm -hmm. So right. we focus on what's happening in our community because that's most pertinent to us as we should. But in the, but we shouldn't get um, caught into thinking subconsciously that it's just us. So the, 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 the movie that keeps coming to me to bring out up is one of my favorite films of all time is the people versus Larry Flint. Mm. Um, that movie, you know, starred Woody Harrelson, it was an incredible film. Mm -hmm. And the whole point that Larry Flint was making, who, you know, had the, the hustler magazine and that whole thing was that, you know, people care more about, uh, are, are they're, they're more welcoming to violence than they are to like sex or intimacy or whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, and that just still remains, it's still true. Uh, you know, I'm glad Derek brought up, you know, Scorsese because, you know, I couldn't even get through the Irishman. It was too long. Um, <laughs> but, but it also, you know, it was just, Shoot them, kill them. Like we've seen De Niro mm -hmm. do that a hundred times. Yeah. He had nothing new to offer. It was boring. It didn't deserve Oscar praise, but it's just more homage to Scorsese. And I'm a fan of some of his work, you know, but at the end of the day, it's violent as hell. So mm -hmm. we we had Grand Theft Auto. It's, it's just violence everywhere. So I don't think that you can even separate reality TV from narrative and scripted, the, the unscripted world from the scripted world. It's all part of our culture and it bleeds together just like Caress's experience last night. It all bleeds together. And so I think one of the charges for the artist is for us to recognize this and then we can make a change within our own work. Um, mm -hmm. I know I've yeah. taken a personal stand um, where a while, a long time ago, I do not post um, videos of brothers getting killed or I don't, you know, this, it, it, like there's a recent video of uh, a little girl uh, being mishandled by a cop. I can't, I don't, I yes. saw a little clip and I, I not, and I didn't go looking for it. It just exactly. popped up. I stopped mm -hmm. immediately. I do want to say this real quick. It's a fine line. You brought up Rodney King, right? And the, the ability to use the camera to weaponize uh, as a weapon to 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 make change, mm -hmm. and when you look up all the trauma po uh, porn on online as it relates to Black people, one of the films that comes up is uh is a 
um, when they see us, Ava DuVernay. Yes. And what's interesting is, uh, you know, her response was, you know, that she, you know, you, you need to, like, you still need to see history. So it's this fine line because the the Central Park Five just got some more money. And I think that's completely because of that film. Absolutely. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tricky situation. Hey, this is Helen. Hey, this is Celia. And we are Linubians, and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWGTheTruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. I know that life can be hard sometimes, trying to play with the hand that you're dealt. But all you really need to remember is the truth that lies inside you. There's nothing that can stop you. Your light guides others to their truth. And your star was made to shine. We are back, kcwgthetruth.com. My name is DJ Rome. Oh my goodness, we are listening to some incredible sounds this evening, and uh, this next guest is no different. Uh, I'm so excited he's stopping by Psychotic Bum School, and he's one of those cats, man, where you, you, you meet them for the first time, but you realize after going through their discography that you, you've known this cat for a while, but that's the beauty of music. This good brother is a musician, a composer, uh, music director. Uh, the good brother does it all. He's a DJ, a remixer. I'm so excited to have him here all the way from the East Coast, y'all. Detroit, Michigan, stand up. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome for the very first time to Psychotic Bump School, the good brother, Piranha Head. Mr. Piranha Head, are you there? Yes, I am. What up, though? You all right, brother? Oh, uh, we are cool and the gang, but not as cool as you. Uh, y'all got it going uh, no, pretty good out cool there. Cool the gang is. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Y'all got it. Y'all got it nice out there. How's it going out there where you are? Oh, well, it's a little cold, you know, yeah. somewhere around like 10 degrees, 12 degrees, but we good. 10 or you 12 know? degrees? Oh, baby. People... <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, we hit them negative numbers, bro. I was going to say, you know? for some people, that's a warm oh. day. <laughs> for some people, that is a warm day, right? But, you know, right. I mean, so it's, but, you know. Okay. Yeah, man, we're doing our thing. You oh, know, we are definitely doing our thing. Beautiful. How um, do you work in weather like that? Do you work well when it's cold or do, does the weather impact your creativity in any way? Just, hey man, listen, you know, I'm in the music game. So wherever the groove is, you know what I mean? Sometimes I remember, uh, I remember back in the day, um, you know, when I did work a regular job, you know, 
um, you know, me and my lady who I was with at that time, back in the nineties. And, you know, we on the bus stop and it's cold and I pull out my harmonica. Mm. (laughs) Just start blowing on my harmonica. Mm. Just to try to keep my hands warm before they had them little heat packets and things. So, um, yeah, man, you know, I mean, it was, it was a groove, you know, it was cool. Everything was normal. But you know, it is what it is. You know, yeah, you, accept you, it or not. Love it or leave it. Yeah, you you use the elements really well. And speaking of the elements, I mean, you have an amazing uh, bio, man. And uh, I could uh, take it apart piece by piece and just love every part of it because uh, I, I want to hone in on this one because I remember a few years ago, several years ago now, there were the Grammy Awards one year, and I think up for best new artist was somebody like Bruno Mars. I mean, some really popular pop artists but they mm-hmm. didn't win. They lost out to a wonderfully talented sister who I know you've heard of. Her name was Esperanza Spalding. Upright hey, man. man. And people were saying, man, it's about time that people with real musicianship chops that know how to read and compose music actually win. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I bring that up because you are a formally trained musician. Uh, how much of that do you bring into your day-to-day creations, even when you're doing something like EDM or deep house music? Tell us about how you incorporate your your musical artistry, full arsenal, into what you do day-to-day. I'll say this. It, it fits uh, directly in because, you know, um, I was, you know, in, in the, even in the house music thing, I had, um, I'm sorry, I'm running water in the back because I'm, I'm making <laughs> coffee, man. I'm trying to keep my thing together, you dig? Man, um, man. it's cold out <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I, um, I, I always was into music, musicianship, you know? I mean, because I grew up, of course, you know, psychotic bump school. You already know what that's going to reference, you know? I, I grew up listening to music and... Later on, when I was in a band called Enemy Squad, I had a chance. Ooh. And we, yeah, I was one of the <laughs> guitar players in Enemy Squad. So me and Gabe Gonzalez, Gabe Gonzalez, my big brother, man, I got, I got nicknamed yes, uh, Piranha Head and his, in, in, in you know, uh, 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 his grandma's basement, you know, his, his really? mom's basement. Oh, man, come on, man. Oh, that's dog. a story right there. Gabe Listen, that's, the, the oh, drummer. man, that's my bro, dog. Any, anybody, you know, like that knucklehead, man, come on, bro. <laughs> Me, him, Carrie, Dominey. First time I met Gary Shatter was on in in that basement. Ooh. I met Gary Shatter. That was nineteen ninety that was nineteen ninety, I think. About nineteen ninety, ninety something. Right. And I was over there and then the original um Travis Bean guitar mm. that he played on uh you know on in the 76 concerts you know 76 77 mothership tour when okay. he's playing that that guitar like that mug with the heavy steel neck like oh, that's wow. the guitar that was over there with him <laughs> so like uh-huh. you know yeah a lot of that musicianship but with that long story short short story shorter yeah um i we were on tour and we were opening for you know the the master Bernie Worrell man Ooh. and I sat and I was really trying to study some type of theory at that time I was really into reading certain things you know writing in my journal and reading and you know just a little you know 
little mind expansion never hurt nobody. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, we were kicking it and I was asking Bernie, like, you know, what is the cycle of fists? And we started talking about wow. a lot of the, uh, you know, magnanimousness of music theory and harmony and things like that. And, you know, he just told me, you know, well, you might want to go to college on that. Do you think? I said, okay, well, what to do with that? Like, you know, like where? That It was just one of those things that just was like, okay. He just said, like, college. And now my mom is a college enthusiast. You know, she's a professor. Okay. You know, before she retired. So, you know, it's just like, okay, well, I, I did try to do the college thing, man. I, oh, <laughs> you know, I don't want to have to go through all of that. I'm just trying to find, just give me, you know, let me know what, the, you know, how does, how does it fit in the funk? Where the groove at, you know? Because I was, right. you know, it, it was a whole nother thing. And yep. that, you know, seeing him play and seeing him be able to go from, Vorat, you know, or, you know, play some, some type of, uh, you know, Brahms, mm-hmm. or, you know, you know what I'm saying? Some Schubert in the middle of, you know, some of the baddest funk you'll ever hear. And it'd be, you know, <laughs> you know, classical. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wait a minute, this is, so it let me know that this note or this scale over here or this chord over here is the same as it is over here. It's just a different rhythm behind it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Somebody might have a different rhythm to whatever they're doing, but they still human. Trump got a whole different rhythm about who he is. Oh yeah. You know, the, Trump's rhythm and Farrakhan's rhythm, totally different rhythms, oh, yeah. but they still got the same chords and everything and all of that type of stuff. You know what I'm saying? We all from, we all from the one, no matter what we think, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, you know, it's, it's still real, man. That's right. That's right. Well, it's a beautiful thing. Um, it's, it's interesting that something as inconspicuous as just being in uh, Gabe's basement, uh, you came to be, if you were will. I remember a story. Yeah, the black about- man and him, were, were there, we were all having fun. And I think the black man nicknamed me Piranha Head or called me Piranha Head. Or they were joking or something. I don't know what happened. You know, wow. 420 at some point. But it was, you know, it, it, you know, it, it, we had fun, man. You know I mean? We were like a 20, I felt like we, well, we really were a, a big, we were like the baby P-Funk. You see what I'm saying? Because we count, you know, anybody, if anybody puts us in, a, in the same room right now, and you know what I'm saying? As soon as we hear, like the opening drum lick of, of, of Cosmic Slop, we can play that. You know, if, you know, pop them, pop them, pop, we, we got that. We, we already know, okay, this is where we land at. You know what I mean? This is, this is, this is it. You know what I'm saying? It's just, you know, and that tree of P-Funk is huge, man. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, what George and, and Bootsy and, and, you know, and, you know, Ron Ford and all them put together. You know what I mean? Nothing put asunder, really. Right. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, this this is the lot I'm part of the largest gang in the world. Come on. Come on. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Our gang signed been been flashing since seventy what? You know what I'm saying? So it's yeah. it's like for real. It's real. I mean, anybody'll tell you, man. I mean, like that's I mean and it comes in all colors. You know what I mean? You got white folks, black folks, men, women, 
Yeah. Short ones, tall ones. Prince was one of them. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we, yes. you know, P-Funk, we, we, you know, we all delic. Once a delic, always a delic. Oh, well, I want to talk to you about that because um, I was about to say those, those naming sessions, uh, the great Malana Karanga actually gave names to oh, yeah. people like James M. Tume, uh Julius mm-hmm. Winter. I mean, it, it, it's magical yeah. how those moments just come. And that just sounded like it was just a roasting session. They were just going at you. It was. And they were. The man, I was yeah, a baby. Uh-huh. I was a baby at a bunch. So, like, I, I got, they always went in on me, man. You know what I mean? Wow. Uh, you know, they always went in on me. I trust me, man. You know, we Gabe would find us if we fucked up on stage, man. You know what I'm saying? It's, it was that type of thing. You know, we <laughs> you know, we was oh man, bruh, I'm gonna tell you. You talking about a blast. We party, man. We would have a great time on stage. We went on tour with HR. We you know, we're HR's back in the Oh yeah. Wow. So, you know what I mean? We were soul brains before he actually went back and got bad brains and turned them into the soul brains thing. So, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, it was, a, it was a lot of that. You know what I mean? A lot that we learned from the whole P-Funk camp and a lot of that, you know. Um, right. Still a lot of, you know, so even a lot of production things. Like me and Ann Fiddler were talking about this the other day. That, um, you know, a lot of who we are mm-hmm. as just Detroit musicians, a lot of the whole P-Funk thing came out of the Detroit musician aspect. Right. But a lot of those Detroit musicians who are part of P-Funk, we in our own little, you know, we all connected. Mm. You know, so, you know, I remember going to see P-Funk at St. Andrews, 1990. And um, it was not, it was out of St. Andrew's Hall here or Royal Oak Music Theater. And I looked on the stage and I seen Amp Fiddler and Sean, well, David, David Lee, Spratley. Yes, sir. Know? And I seen them both. Yes. And they both had this, this thing about the both of them that was so oblong, I'll say. Oblong? You know, it was a whole... Oblong. Yeah, it was, you <laughs> know what I mean? It was mean? like, or just like, it was off kilter. It was like a, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because the sense that people were using at that time, like the Korg M1 and, uh-huh. you know, and they still had the Prophet up there. They was, you know, sequential circuits and all these keyboards that were doing new and interesting, they had new and interesting patches in them. Mm-hmm. And that was finding its way into what, you know, because Bernie had already set all of that up with all the moves and the ops and all these other things, doing all of what he did. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But then when they brought that to the stage and then you had that and it was the 90s by then, so the yeah, had already happened. Yeah. And then he did the comic dog and all that. It right. ended up being this thing that was like, okay, how can we take this further? <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh-huh. How, how much uh-huh. deeper can it get? And seeing, you know, me and Amp were doing some work recently, you know, kicking it. And, um, you know, we, I was just talking with him about that because he, he was, you know, uh, pulling out some old <laughs> some old keyboards. It was just like, oh, my God, man, I remember that. <laughs> you know, okay. so it's funny. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm, I'm long-winded. No, it's all good because uh, David Lee Bradley, 
I'm, I'm glad you name check David Lee Spradley because he's the reason how I met you. And yeah, man, I got yeah. I got to give it up to my man. That's that's oh, my yeah. right there. Cool cat. Big man. shout out to my man Gil Johnson too, man, because I mean we've been doing a yeah. lot of work with this cat Gil. He was telling us Amazing. about that. Yeah, David Lee Spradley, ladies and gentlemen, of course, is uh, the writer of Atomic Dog. He was here a few weeks oh, yeah. ago. And uh, that is a stone cold classic straight out of United Sound Studios in Detroit. <laughs> Come on. Man, oh. yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. And so you know been up all up in it, man. And uh from the enemy squad to bad brains, like you said, I mean, to lay Nubian, man. See, this is what I'm saying. It's like I, I I'm just meeting you in real time, but I've known um, you, man. It's like I'm right on, man, right lay on. Nubian. You know, music throws people together, man. You know what I'm it saying? Does. It's, yeah. Oh, you you dealt with Helen and Celia? Yes, sir. They were on the show oh, uh, like oh, the end cool. of 2018. What was it like working with them? Uh, man, look, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you, wait, hold up. Yeah, I got ahead. something for you. Yes. I got something for you, see, because Helen and Celia, those are like my sister. You know, we go through our thing. I ain't going to front. We, that's, that's, we got, we're going to have our ups and downs. Those are my, that, those are my sisters. Right. You know, it's messed up because I can understand when they speak in French. Uh-oh. You know what I mean? I don't understand that, but French fries, French kiss, you know what I mean? French <laughs> pedicure. You know what I mean? Oh, <laughs> but but they they understand the language for real. And, you know, man, we got a whole project done. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you right now. There was one day, Helen brought me this song that's kind of like a little bit of a French thing and a little bit of a English thing. You know, it's got the, the hook is French. I can tell you what the hooks say, okay. but I'm gonna tell you this. All of those things that we had in the magic of Parliament Funkadelic at United, mm-hmm. we caught that same thing over here at Russell okay? Yeah. I mean, we had my man Tony Gordon, keyboard player. For, I mean, him and Malik Austin on keys. Amp came, dropped some magic on the mic. Mm. Uh, we had a crowd of people. I did the gym video and put a mic in the middle of the room and made everybody clap. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, just, you know, we had the whole vibe. The whole vibe was on. Had my man doing a moog and everything, you know, and, and then. You know, I said, you know, I call my brother, my, my big brother, Dumini, the poorest of E-Squad fame, man, the guitar player, you know what I mean? Who's like Eddie Hazel and then some. Say, man, come over here and get, you know, come get to Mike Hampton now. And then, yeah. you know, say, yeah, okay, that's great. We having a great time with that. And then, uh, a little bit later, ended up having Larry Fitangelo come and get down. Okay. You hip to Larry Fitangelo, right? Uh, drummer or a guitarist? He's a drummer. The yeah. Percussionist, really. For sure. He's the for percussionist sure. who is, you know, responsible for like the One Nation Under a Groove thing go. and the Quika, ooh, 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 all that shit. Ah, uh, yeah. He's that guy. He is that element of the funk that a lot of people kind of, they kind of, you know, they look past it. They, those of us who know, those of y'all who know, know. But so we had, I mean, so the next Lay Nubians project, whether we release it or even if it's unreleased, the one that 
is here that is Detroit based. Yeah. Man, it's going to blow y'all's minds. <laughs> I'm going to let you know really? that one right now. Whoa. I mean, for real. Like, Bootsy had an ear full of it and Whoa. looked at me over his glasses. Mm. Over the glasses? Okay. Over, over the, glasses. the glasses. What? <laughs> yeah. He looked at me over the glasses. Piranha? See, yeah. Mm hmm. Okay. <laughs> I said, all right. Okay. Oh, yeah, is that the seal of approval right there? Oh, dog. I, I mean, man, look, I, I will tell you. In fact, what I'm going to do, and I'm telling you, I'm, I'm not going to even let you let you get this to the people. Okay. But I'm, I'm going to one of these, it, you know, probably after everything is said and done, I'm going to let you get an airfall. Oh. You know. <laughs> I'm going to let you get an airfall. I would love that. Yeah. No, it's definitely that. good to hear home, man. Man. I mean, for real, every jam on this mug, man, you know what I'm saying? Once we get, get a deal with this one, yeah, that, that one right there is flying. Well, them sisters are dope, right? I don't have to tell you, but just meeting them one time, man, their, their vibe is so warm. They're, they're so yeah, soulful. Yeah, very good people, I mean, man. Good people, very man. Good people. So that's, what's, uh, that's where the project is right now. It's just looking for a place to land that project, a, a deal for it. And then you, you'll, you think you'll kind of, you know, I mean, I, you know, they've also been having their own things too. So they got a lot going on. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. I'm, I'm in the middle of working with a lot of different things right now, man. I kind of, you know, I'm kind of doing a lot because, yeah. you know, you can do that now. You, you don't have to wait. Right. You know, I'm sorry if also the audio keeps changing because I'm walking from room to room and I'm in a multifaceted uh, oh, studio man. area. No, and it's like, you know, you've got chambers in here and you got, you know, Rust Belt is where, I, you know, this is this is home base for me. Oh, um, yeah. Recording wise, where I produce a lot out of because this is like the studio. Oh, period. yeah. You well, you got Chambers is there now? Yeah, no, we have, no, not Dennis Chambers, like an oh. actual chamber, but like that's, uh, you know. Oh, uh, Chambers the, uh, in the hall. Oh, echo. <laughs> you know. Well, like, man, call my brother to the phone, man. <laughs> oh, no, man, no. We had him at United, though. I mean, I, man, Dennis is, Dennis know how I feel, man. That's that's my man. Yeah, man. You know? David was talking yeah. about him, too. He, he's the cat. But you work with him. You work with Amp. You work with David. Actually, I haven't worked with Dennis yet. I've, I've met, work with Dennis? kicked it with him, but just haven't, haven't worked with him yet. I look okay. forward to the day that we do that. I mean, worked with Amp, worked with, with David, you know what I mean? Me and David yeah. uh, working with uh, Gil right now. He's producing that project. Oh, yeah. I actually had David in on another project of recently. And you know what I mean? I want to, I'm actually going to be doing, you know, some little shorts that kind of expose the um the people who are behind the funk you know um because you know everybody getting older man you know right um you know and i've been blessed through uh you know i i haven't even mentioned uh who else i've worked with um as of you know yet but you know i i'm gonna mention it yeah because this brother right here is really one of the main reasons I have done everything that I do, mm-hmm. and that's Paul Hill. Okay. Now, you, you, if you ain't hip to Paul, mm-hmm. put you in touch with him. Okay. He's the glue. Mm. And from, from what I can see, he's one of them pieces of the glue. Okay. He's that, you know, that person who put things together. Right. When I was at United, he was the one who was like, 
really pushing me to be and do and see and, and get things in order. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, and he also is one of the most amazing songwriters and, you know, producers that I've, you know, run into because he, what he does makes sense. All right. And, um, while we were over at United, he reintroduced me to somebody who was like the key thing. And that was Jim Vitti. Yes, now, sir. Jim, <laughs> man, down. Jim Vitti, dog. I didn't, I mean, I dug how much the truth that cat was because, you know, Gary Shada told me about him, Valia Franklin told me about him, Shirley Hayden told me about him. Everybody in the funk is like, yeah, man, but Jim Vitti, that's a bad engineer, dog. That's that guy. Man, that guy, I'm trying to tell you, he would be da-da-da-da-da. And I'm like, yeah, okay, you know, seen pictures of him. Never met the guy, you know, seen him. You know, I've heard about him from everybody in Detroit, you know, blah, blah. But can't nobody find no, you know. <laughs> so right. when I met him, it was like an instant link. And Paul put us in touch with, you know, he brought him to United while we were at United. Because me and Paul would be in United for like 15 to 24 hours straight working on stuff. Um, you know, fall asleep in the studio, get back up, get back to work. You know, right. um, that's kind of how we were. So I just found it to be really interesting. Um, I know I'm a little tangent. You can, you can edit this shit. <laughs> or I, you can you ask a question to do whatever, man. I don't care. Yeah. You know, it's right now it's a phone conversation as far as I'm concerned. That's I don't right. know who listening, who ain't. You know, hey, the FBI right. always listen. See, I ain't kidding. Um, right. <laughs> but uh, Jim Vitti and Paul, you know, we were all, you know, talking about a lot of things. And I, I'm sitting up here and I'm just realizing, like, man, time ain't playing. Because we lost Don Davis in the middle of those conversations. Mm. So, you know, it's just like, man, somebody got to tell these stories. Yes, sir. And a lot of people don't want to talk about these things, you know, but then we get mad when a Bruno Mars gets out there and he's trying to keep it alive the best way he know how. Mm. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? He's just doing it from, you know, you know, records he's heard and the vibe that he done peeped out and the talent he's got, you know what I'm saying? Right. There ain't nobody trying to, you know, we got to be the ones to tell these stories. So I got to be a part of the solution to what some people might see as the problem okay. or be the problem. Hmm. Well, which, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Which is it? <laughs> you know, I mean, you can either be the, the problem itself, uh-huh. which means you ain't doing nothing. You ain't, you ain't trying to preserve the history. Mm. You ain't trying to really tell about the history. So then, you know, I, I can't blame kids for not knowing how to read the Declaration of Independence because we didn't teach them how to teach, how to write or read cursive. You dig? Right. Well, that's our show, y'all. Psychotic Bump School is the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. My name is DJ Roman. You know we're here every Monday evening from 5.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time. Check back with us. We shall return next week. Also, a very special edition of Dizzy Attic Nation will cover the Super Tuesday primary. 
right here, okay? We're gonna be covering it, y'all, with some of your favorite political commentators that you've heard here right on Psychotic Bump School. We're gonna be doing an after-school special called Dizzy Attic Nation, and you don't wanna miss that, covering the Super Tuesday primary. I also wanna thank our guests for this evening, filmmakers Jalea Jackson and Xander Shea Brown, Derek Debman, Jamie Burton Orr, Caressa Boyd, and of course, my good brother, musician out of Detroit, Michigan, Piranha Head. KCWGTheTruth.com, y'all, Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. We're out of here, y'all. Take care. See you next time.